Today we're speaking with Kelly King. Welcome, Kelly, and thank you for taking the time to participate. Before we get started, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background. Well, Dr. Babb, thanks for having me today. Um, I grew up in a small town in rural Missouri, and uh, I was uh, first generation born to a Japanese immigrant. Um, and interestingly enough, growing up in that small rural town, uh, it wasn't my passion or dream to go to college, but I had a father uh, who pushed me real hard to go to college and uh, pushed me out of my comfort zone, encouraged me. And I was the second person in our extended family to go to college. Ended up with an en engineering degree from a, a local school there in Missouri and worked in the aerospace industry for a short time and then went on to Southwestern Bell Telephone Company. Uh, later, um, as I started my career, it was kind of the dawn of the wireless industry. Mm -hmm. And I held a variety of jobs from network engineering to finance to marketing sales strategy, both domestically and internationally in Europe and Mexico. And, and today, uh, I'm still working at AT&T and I get to serve as executive vice president with a wonderful group of men and women mm -hmm. across the nation who work tirelessly to build and manage sell and service uh, communities across the country and connect them uh, every day through our fiber and 5G wireless networks. And, and when I met Stan, it was in the late 1990s uh, when I was leading a team of wireless network professionals. And then through the years, worked uh, for Stan in various capacities as he led SBC Wireless, then Singular Wireless, and what ultimately became AT&T Wireless. And so I probably had about a decade of experience working with Stan Sigma. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that and I appreciate your introduction. It's good for the listener to understand um, the, the really interesting cross-section of um, folks who have suddenly, uh, uh, let me try to say that again, folks who have been um, guests so far, but certainly to provide a variety of context for this podcast is called the Stan Sigma Leadership and Innovation Podcast to accompany the series, which is a uh, event largely focused on the um, Canyon, Texas campus of West Texas A&M University. Um, and you've started uh, to answer this question a bit, but I think what the leader, uh, the listener, I should say, not the reader, what the listener was would really be interested in is, well, who was Stan Sigmund? Like, what, what would interest them about Stan Sigmund? Well, you know, you hear about individuals that shape industries and how their leadership made monumental impact on society and Stan was certainly a person that did that as a leader and an innovator. But what I think uh, would be interesting to your listeners is he was a man from humble beginnings. He started in a custodial position with what is now AT&T and worked his way up through the ranks to lead the phone or wireless industry to what we know it as today and really changed everything and how we do everything both here in the U.S. and globally. And and, you know, you think about how we wake up in the morning, we used to have alarm clocks, mm -hmm. you know, we used to, we used to have stereos and radios, and now we get our music from our mobile devices, our news sources have changed, the way we shop, we used to have maps, you probably remember <laughs> Thomas guides, right, that's how we navigated our way to a destination, and mm -hmm. now we connect every kind of device from security cameras to tracking devices to automobiles, and, and it works all over the world, and and this has become the remote control for your life. And he, he was certainly 
at the center of that. Mm -hmm. He also raised an amazing family and married his high school sweetheart. And so while today's picture of this, this type of innovator or leader is sometimes portrayed as someone who is far from humble, maybe doesn't portray the best values, had an idea, went public, made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, revels in fame and struggles with relationships. Stan was anything but those things. Yeah, that's that's the you know, the more I get to know about Stan um, through the series and through speaking um, with guests such as yourself, that's very clear. And actually what you all um, who've spoken with me so far seem to have in common is some degree of, you know, some ability, I should say, to relate to Stan's own backstory. You know, it's been pretty common for folks to have come from more, we would say everyday circumstances, and that's what's relatable, which is actually kind of related to the next question I typically um, ask. Um, when, when you're able to corner and speak to a successful leader, and I've been really um, privileged in the university and the students who listen to this and anybody who listens to this has been privileged to come across folks who have, you know, put in the hard work and made um, several different, you know, choices and decisions across the way. But I still think the average student or even just the average person is sitting there thinking, well, gosh, they must just be smart. They must have just born with it. So I usually ask this question, is good leadership nurture or nature or what combination thereof? You know, I think um, uh, the way I think about it is um, everyone is given a set of gifts that you're born with. And maybe we call that nature has given that to us. It's the unique talents that may be different from one person to another. However, most of us, um, as I've learned through many years, um, will will likely never reach um, our full potential without uh, development. And while nature gets you started, your journey towards your full potential is a road of development. And this requires being pushed into uncomfortable places. And I, I believe one of the gifts we're all given is that gift of potential. And we've been given the privilege and responsibility to grow towards that potential. How close you get to it is up to you. And likely you have far more potential than you'll ever believe you have. And someone else has to almost see it in you and push you beyond what you believe you're capable of. And Stan Sigmund was a master of that. He knew people underestimated their potential and he would set what seemed like giant expectations and know that you could get there. Uh, he used to say often, people will rise to your level of expectation. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's, that, that's, a, that's a powerful message and, and most have answered um, similarly but it, it should give um, hope that, you know, putting a foot in front of the other, um, you know, setting, um, you know, goals that can stretch you a bit and then staying on it. Uh, and those are really important things for students here. The, the thing that I'm usually try to be forgiving about to students is that they're earlier in their journey. And so that the more context and perspective they hear, um, there's no uh, promise that like the light bulb would go off, but you're investing. And it sounds like Stan would invest and in that that's been a clear message all the way through. He would certainly, um, from what others have described, set um, performance expectations. You just described that as well. But to have the the boosts behind there and believing in folks, that um, seems like it's really um, beyond value. Um, the 
what we did in 2021 when we had um, the Friends of Stan Sigmund had reached out to the university and then subsequently the college is that we had developed this leadership and innovation series in Stan's name. And at the time, uh, you know, um, you, you might know that the, the first um, featured speaker was uh, Ralph De La Vega. At the time, Ralph and other friends of Stan Sigmund had put together <clears throat> their recollection of key um, values and principles of Stan's. And I've read them out in every um, episode so far, but I think it's still useful because it could prompt further discussion. So these are authenticity, integrity, accountability, teamwork, execution, people, communication, empathy, respect, and vision. And I, I'm sure that's probably not an exclusive or exhaustive list, but it's a good set of, uh, it's a nice round number of principles. Um, I think that if I were to share any one of these concepts as a student, they almost seem deceptively simple. So why are these principles and values uh, so meaningful and important? Well, I would make the case that this framework of simple concepts and values is, is a foundation that, that would enable enduring and durable leadership success. So, so we know these worked in the past, okay? We, we saw the success from um, many of the things that Stan and his teams accomplished, but I would suggest as a practitioner of these principles today, uh, they continue to be effective now in the present, will continue to be effective in the future. So being a student of these can be very powerful as you move into the future. And so, and I believe them to be enduring across industries, mm -hmm. uh, government organizations, and even nonprofits. And, and, and as I think about them, I, I think about them this way, and I'll step through them with just my personal view of these. Mm -hmm. uh, you start with integrity is that uncompromising uh, uh, integrity of doing the right thing every time. It's that rock solid foundation that every relationship that is an enduring relationship is built upon because you, you know the character of the individual that you're working with. And so that integrity is the basis for this enduring or durable long-term um, impact. And, and the second one is vision that, that, that I would speak to, and it's, the, it's being able to clearly outline the where we are going, the destination. It creates the alignment and focus, and, and you probably heard Stan used to say it a lot, what gets focused gets fixed, and that was his way of saying we must focus to win, and this vision, clarity and vision defines what winning looks like for the team, and that's critically important. And then the who are the people. Nothing gets done by an individual. It takes people to be inspired around the vision. And, and one thing about Stan is he never, ever used the word I. I never heard him say I in any sentence. Um, the act of working together to win or achieve the vision is, is that teamwork mm -hmm. that you see in the simple framework. And so uh, the who coming together and working together to win is where the teamwork comes in and then you see accountability and i like to think of accountability this way another way of saying it would be taking ownership and it's owning your responsibility doing what we say we're going to do making our commitments and arguably teamwork doesn't work without ownership and accountability because you can't count on your teammates to do what they need to do in order for the team to function so the team can function productively 
And for you, they have to count on you to do it mm -hmm. and meet mm -hmm. your commitments. The authenticity, respect, and empathy, that's just how we treat each other every day. And if you do that, those relationships can be enduring over a long period of time. And then communication and execution is what we do to make it happen. And so he, he was very clear around communicating and execution, relentless execution. Mm -hmm. and so that's mm -hmm. how these come together. And, mm -hmm. and we know that the change, you hear the saying, change is the only constant. And mm -hmm. I would argue, well, that's wrong because change is changing. It's accelerating. We sure. know it's accelerating. Sure. You know, the, 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 it took 50 years for the telephone to be adopted by 50 million people. It took 12 years for the mobile phone to be adopted by 50 million people. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it took days for 50 million people to use Pokemon Go, right? <laughs> so, you know, this thing is accelerating. And so, right. and in a changing environment, though, one of the things that's enduring is this framework that's been put together. Right, right. That's interesting. It's funny, they're, the um, college is a, a podcast, not a podcast, a blog, and I um I put in entries in it and I literally made inspired by the most recent on campus event I literally made a, a post to that effect that would be um I don't know if the the speed of the gear at which the human comprehension moves quite as fast as the innovation we're speaking to there's one um of those components you just spoke to I want to go ahead and focus on and I think it's really relevant to uh most folks because uh, I'm li I like how you said you're a practitioner of these values and principles, that's that's the key word. And that practice means it's regular engagement, which is why many have said, you know, um, Stan was about execution, 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 because that's where you indwell in the moment of contact and that's how experience is happening. And that's the only way you'll be a practitioner. So an interesting experience that many employers, I'm certain if a part of our conversation, you said, hey, Dr. Bab, you know, I, I need some great talent you know, and you'd start to articulate what you're looking for. Invariably, I find that teamwork comes up. And it's it's one of the more difficult things for younger students in particular, but just students in general, to really embrace. Um, I don't, it could be the academy's fault, because the academy may not be, you know, leading them fully in ways to learn how to make teams, some of them just, you know, fall in naturally. But teamwork is um, seems to be vitally important. You just said that you never heard um, Stan say the word I. So please elaborate on that with a particular, because um, I know you had a, a couple of things you were going to say on this, but um, bear in mind advice for students to embrace teamwork and thrive within teams. Yeah, you know, um, very little gets done without teamwork. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, teamwork, you know, if you believe the definition is the combined action of of a group of people towards a common goal or vision, mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine how to achieve any material success without great teamwork. Think about any great championship team in athletics or any great orchestra that plays amazing music. Mm -hmm. In business, you know, developers, marketeers, accountants, engineers, finance folks, supply chain and logistics teams, they all have to work together in concert to achieve a common goal. And so even think about the team of people around you every day that are all working to help you reach your full potential as a human being, your family, your teachers, your friends, your mentors. 
learning how to develop effective teams, being a great teammate, and learning how to lead teams effectively and intentionally is a critical skill. And, and Stan was a master at inspiring uh, teamwork. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you had uh, um, mentioned, I, I'm really fond, and I use this a lot in my own um, uh, instruction and just even in write-ups I do in research, I'm really fond of metaphoric reasoning. And so uh, in some of my um, correspondence um, with you, um, I saw a mention of, of Stan's battle plans. So can you um, elaborate more in these battle plans and, and how would we look for applications of the battle plan concept in today's world? What results do you commonly see with this? Yeah, so so when you think about teamwork, you know, I, I'd, I'd have to put it in the context of of how how Stan went about teamwork and 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 maybe that'll help illustrate how this might work. Um, I know it's super frustrating for students whenever they're first learning how to work in projects and teams. And it's funny, I have I have children that are just mm-hmm. graduating from universities and they talk about how frustrating it is to be on mm-hmm. different teams and trying to work together. And so um, there are some fundamentals that that I want you to to maybe uh, grasp and for a moment think about and think about the visual of an Olympic crew boat racing team. I always think that's a really great visual where there's nine people in this boat and they they are rowing. Eight of them are rowing in perfect synchronization at a perfect cadence, and every member of the, on the team understands their role and responsibility. And when they do it right. They're in perfect alignment and, and, and the synchronicity is amazing towards the goal to get to the finish line. And then you think, okay, they make it look so easy. And, and then I want you to think about just to, just to help the listeners understand the, the mastery that Stan had around this. Okay. In October of 2004, I want you to think about bringing two large companies together and the largest cash deal in history at that time Mm -hmm. and these two companies were the same size and on one day they were competing aggressively each other and and literally hated each other and then on the very next day they are on the same team (laughs) and if my memory serves me correctly it was about 70,000 of us Mm -hmm. so think about half and half we come together one day we were fighting the next day we were on the same team. So how do you, how do you create teamwork, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The combined singular wireless and AT&T wireless became the largest wireless company in the United States. And we had huge challenges. We had to integrate networks and stores and brands, distribution, customer service, IT platforms, billing platforms, product portfolios. You go on and on and on. And, and, and there were kind of six things that Stan really guided us through to, to, to help us work together and create this amazing teamwork almost instantaneously as these 70,000 people that came together. And one of them, out of the six, I'll just break them down real quick. Number one, mm-hmm. extreme clarity mm-hmm. on the vision or goal and what winning looks like. Mm-hmm. That was so important that everybody on the team knew that extreme clarity of the destination. The number two, we break down the problem into smaller digestible pieces. And so 
we took the nation and we broke it into 27 geographies. And I want you to think about this is the early version of the scrum teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> and each one of these geographies had a team of people that went after their unique set of assets, competitors, challenges, demographics of their customer base, and and, and figured out how to win in each one of those unique 27 market areas. And then the third, after you broke down the problem into smaller digestible pieces, is you got to have a game plan. You got to have a playbook or what we call the battle plan, which mm -hmm. you referenced. And, and, and Stan would say, look, hope is not a winning strategy. If you have <laughs> no plan, you have a plan to fail. Mm -hmm. And so we particularly like the word battle plan as it inspired the notion of winning with urgency. Right. And the actions that were built into the battle plan, these were the actions that were required to achieve the goal. And it created this focus. And again, you remember I said he, he used to say what gets focused gets fixed. And he would also say the only excuse for activity is results. And the battle <laughs> plans would ensure that the teams were focused on the right activity that drove results and not other activities. So, so, so you, you set the vision, you break down the problem into smaller digestible pieces, you build a game plan or a battle plan, and then you have to establish clear roles and responsibilities. Okay, this gets back to that ownership and accountability. Each member on the team, just like that, that crew team, has mm -hmm. to understand how they contribute to the success of the team. So imagine, the goals and objectives of each member of the team from the frontline service representative or, or the technician were completely aligned with the CEO of the company and everybody was rowing the boat in the same direction. And then it was execute relentlessly. He would say, if you have a plan, the job is half done. Once the plans were set, it was time to execute. And I can still hear him. You, you said it earlier. <laughs> Execute, execute, execute. And he would say that relentlessly. And then the final step, which was so important, and I know that you've probably heard uh, from others because he said it so prevalently, was this idea of inspect what you expect. Yes. Okay. And in this process of teamwork, you might say, okay, I get it. You got the vision. I get it, break it down into smaller pieces. You can digest it. I get it, build the battle plan so people are focused and have clear roles and responsibility, then send them out to execute. But what was important, we talked about how change is happening. And, and this inspect what you expect was all about monitoring, measuring, and redirecting because things change. Mm -hmm. You will mm -hmm. not anticipate everything in your plan. And, and that is the innovation cycle that happens. You're going to fail. You're going to have a challenge or a roadblock. You're going to have to redirect. That's where that learning happens and that innovation grows. And, and you know, he was a master at, at creating those six components of, of teamwork. And then a couple other thoughts that, that, that he had culturally, one of them was trust your teammates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He used to say, and you're going to, you're going to really love this. He used to say, load the wagons. Don't worry about the mules. Okay. Mm. And this was his way of saying, Hey, trust your teammates. They have your back. Mm -hmm. Don't mm -hmm. hesitate. And then I remember this, this other, this other component so, so vividly. And this, 
this I, idea of nothing is more inspiring than winning. I remember we were at a point when he first came in to lead us and we were not performing well as, as a company. And, and he set, he set the stage. We built the battle plans. We were ready to execute. And he asked, are there any questions? And a person in the room said, Hey, Stan, I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, we have a morale problem. What kind of programs should we run? And he, he could tell he was very frustrated and, he, he said, look, people don't want programs. People want to win. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. and, and so he knew winning, winning is fun. Mm -hmm. And he knew that. And he built that around this framework of teamwork um, and the values that, that, that you have listed. And so um, I would share that with, with, with the listeners, because those were basic fundamental things. And what, what he accomplished mm -hmm. with 70,000 people was so amazing on day one. Right. The, um, this level of, uh, inspiration and insight is very useful. Another, uh, on kind of the flip side of this though, is that I would say people, not just students, but profoundly students, because that's certainly, um, given that the you know the podcast and and all of our entire endeavor is is rooted here to Stan's alma mater, um, students struggle with failure, and there's a lot on the principles um, that speak to both sides of the failure coin. Um, so, what advice would you have in terms of using failure as a useful tool for learning and improvement? And what would happen um, on Stan's teams when the battle plan wasn't achieved? Yeah, Stan, Stan was a very intentional person when it came to development of people. I think he believed, and, and I saw it in practice, that, that he, he put people in roles and challenged them. He was about um, experiencing growing through experience and he pushed them well beyond their beliefs of their potential and expected great things from, from them. And he, he fully understood that failure was part of the process. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. And remember he built it into the teamwork process, you know, the step six that I sure. identified the inspect what you expect, which is around monitoring, measuring and redirecting or adapting to that changing environment. So if you failed, and you owned it, you learned from it, and you brought solutions versus excuses to the table to redirect the situation and make it right. He loved it because mm -hmm. he, knew, he knew you grew from it. Mm -hmm. If you came to the table with excuses and reasons and no solutions or made the same failures over and over again, and you did not learn, uh, in other words, you did not inspect what you expect and mm -hmm. redirect, then he would teach us that we should treat people fairly, but swiftly. Mm -hmm. And in other words, you know, if this is not, not the right place for someone, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not passionate about what we do. Mm -hmm. Let's not waste their time. You know, time is anyone's most valuable resource because um, it's the most limited resource we have. And, and we just don't know how much of it we have. And, and, and if they can be successful somewhere else, then it's our responsibility to help them do that in a different role or as part of a different team. So let's move swiftly. Right, right. Um, so others have um, other guests, and even we've had um, the on-campus event 
just a few weeks back, um, many have spoken um, about a concept of balanced performance of the four R's. And as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about, you know, the battle plans and um, uh, inspect what you expect and the four R's, um, try to put that together for us because I think it's very poignant on um, being a, a real reflective practitioner, really monitoring and, and staying focused. Well, you know, the four R's, I, I, I'll, I'll just remind everybody what they are and then mm -hmm. talk about, you know, um, in today's world, we mentioned that we know these, these principles worked in the past and, and I'll reflect on how they're working in the present. Um, the four R's uh, uh, were an ingenious, uh, balanced performance program that Stan put together. Um, the first R was rate of penetration or customer growth. The second R is revenue intensity or a measure of revenue per customer. The third was return on operations or a measure of profit per customer. And, mm -hmm. and those were the original R's. And then, then we added a fourth, which was the new one, which is reputation. This is a measure of customer loyalty. And mm -hmm. so that intensified our focus around the customer. Now, a good team could deliver a couple of the R's, but it took a great team to deliver all four, okay? And because they're balanced, you can you can achieve two of them and fail on two of them, you know? Right. To really do them all was exceptional and right. truly created value and created and grew the business in a high quality way. And, and, and so the analogy that I think of when I think about the four R's to put it in context for people is, uh, think about in basketball, if you're a basketball fan, you hear about the statistic called the triple-double mm -hmm. in basketball. Mm -hmm. So this is where a player, uh, they score points, uh, they get rebounds, and, and they get assists where they help teammates score points, right? And so that's the triple-double. If you think about the four R's, I would think about them as the quadruple-double. <laughs> okay. And, and so you would add steals to that. So there's right. a defensive component as well right. as the offensive component. And so to do that, you have to be a phenomenally well-rounded player. Well, you have to be a phenomenally well-rounded business to achieve all four R's. And, and just to give you a, a little context um, in 2019 here at AT&T, just a few years ago, we implemented uh, the, the many of the constructs and principles that, that we had gotten away from whenever Stan was here. And um, our performance between 2011 and 2018 was, was a little bit lackluster, some would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And when, when in 2019, we started implementing these, these principles again, the teamwork principles, breaking down the, the country into geographies and battle plans and brought back the 4R concept. And so between 2019 and 2021, We've had nine consecutive quarters of record customer growth. Uh, we've had industry-leading customer loyalty for eight to nine years when, and on both of those metrics, we were the worst in the industry. And then we're now growing share consistently quarter over quarter. We're driving revenue growth and EBITDA growth. And in the most recent quarter, analysts started upgrading our stock ratings for the first time in years. And, and then this was all through a global pandemic, right? Yeah, right. First one of the worst hurricane seasons we'd ever seen. We had 12 storms mm -hmm. uh, 
it, it was incredible. And then one of the worst fire seasons in the West and unprecedented supply chain challenges. And nobody built those disasters in their battle plans, right? Yeah, right, right. 19, right? right. So great teamwork and inspecting what we expected, we redirected and everybody stayed focused on the vision and stayed focused on balanced performance. And so in the present here, these principles continue to work that Stan taught us. That's, that's amazing. But the, 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 the time away, uh, my words, not yours, but the, where maybe some of those principles, it seems to me like in, you used this word earlier and it's one I'm fond of. You said you're a practitioner of these principles. Well, that's, that's a very key component. And it's actually a key component for the listener to understand is that they require regular pursuit. So for instance, even the best musician is still practicing, you know, the best artist, the best artisan. And it seems to be uh, that case. Um, I'm glad you said uh, it was some of like uh, the, the way you described the way, you know, the, the breaking up into the 27 geographic regions, you said is kind of early um, aspects of scrum teams. I've been using, uh, I've had uh, agile methods as a focus of a lot of my own work, including actually my dissertation. The reason I mentioned that is that I, I, I see a really interesting parallel between some of um, Agile's um, fund founding principles and then some of those that I'm learning from the Friends of Stan Sigmund. One of the interesting things for students, I think, I teach a senior project course, and um, you know the Scrum ethos in particular says you know self-organizing teams. But what's interesting about self-organizing teams, well, you had said the one thing about uh, inspect what you expect. But another theme I've heard commonly um, regarding Stan and his leadership and the way he would um, work with teams is the concept of empowerment. Because agile, most agile methods um, value self-organizing teams. And it seems like you're describing around these self-organizing self teams. But if we're going to have high-performing teams, what was the magic of empowerment in terms of the way Stan would work with teams? Yeah, if you if you think about, and I'll, I'll go back to the 27 geographies and mm -hmm. the 27, I, I called them scrum teams, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the scrum teams, the early right. days of the scrum teams. Um, right. We called them market area teams and they were led, we'll call it the scrum master was what we called the VPGM. And, and uh, what the reason they were relevant, one, is, is each one of the geographies of the nation at that time had a very different set of assets, different set of competitors. We weren't mm -hmm. nationwide competition necessarily at the time. Different customer demographics, a different set of challenges to solve for, very much like scrum teams have today when they're in pursuit of an outcome. And so they had to build and adapt their plan for their unique situation to get, mm -hmm. get the outcome. Uh, which was balanced for our performance. And so the, the empowerment component of this, you know, deserves a little bit of, of defining because mm -hmm. I think empowerment can mean different things to different people. I mm -hmm. think some people think it means let me do whatever I want, the way that I want to do it without any consequence for the outcomes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm not sure that's a productive definition. Mm -hmm. And, and Stan, the way I believe Stan viewed empowerment is, is giving the team the opportunity to succeed, but mm -hmm. not the freedom to fail. I like okay, that. this is important, I think, because if you give people the opportunity to succeed, but not the freedom to fail. And, and this definition, 
includes the accountability component, right? You have the opportunity to succeed, but you are responsible and accountable for the outcomes. Again, he used to say, inspect what you expect. This was the component of not providing the freedom to fail. The analogy that I would use is think about um, your daughter and, and she's learning how to ride a bike without training whenever she's young, right? Mm -hmm. You don't just send her into traffic, you know, the <laughs> opportunity to succeed, right? And hope that, you know, everything goes great, right? You, you run next to her and you're there looking after her to catch her and you're inspecting to make sure that she's going to be successful. And if she fails, you're going to make sure she doesn't fail in a horrible way, right? That was Stan. And, and that's why there was so much admiration for him. He gave so many of us the opportunity to succeed, but not the freedom to fail. Right, right. If you could, uh, um, and the great part about getting to speak to um, all the variety of guests I've spoken to in this first run of the podcast is uh, I'm speaking to a lot of people who knew and worked with Stan. What teamwork lesson, you know, story or lesson or what have you, um, do you most remember about Stan? You know, uh, it's going to be it's going to be one that, that might surprise you, uh, but it's stuck with me. And I actually think about it more often than many of the lessons that I learned from Stan. Um, there's so many teamwork lessons, but the one I remember the most and I is is when I was on a plane, it was just he and I and we were together and I asked him. I knew he had been married. Mm -hmm. uh, for over 40 years at that particular moment in time. And I'd only been married a few years. Mm -hmm. And I said, Stan, what, what is the secret? What advice do you have for someone who's been married a few years, knowing you and Gary Lynn have been married for well over 40? Mm -hmm. And this is what he told me. He goes, um, Gary Lynn was my high school sweetheart. And when I asked her to spend the rest of her life with me, I told her I would make a living if she would make it great. Huh. And she has definitely done her part. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about what he said. And that was probably one of the greatest forms of teamwork with the vision of a great life and the trust and all the components we talked about around teamwork to make that happen and the admiration he had for his teammates to accomplish this very high standard of a great life. And, and I took that home and, and, and uh, I've been married now over 30 years and uh, my partner has certainly made our lives great. Outstanding. And I think long and hard about how I need to be a better teammate every day. And maybe, maybe that's the lesson that he tried to give us there. That's an incredible, uh, um, great note here um, as we get to the end. Um, before we leave, though, I thank you again uh, for making the time and being a guest for this episode. Um, I've so far um, tried to get the guest to have the last word. So could you share with the listener any events or activities of interest to you moving forward? What else you want the listener, particularly students, to know about yourself, leadership, innovation, just anything in your mind to take us on out here? Well, I, I think probably if I could leave one thing with the listener, you know, um, you each of you has far greater potential than you can ever imagine. I was fortunate to meet 
uh, a man, one of the people in my life that pushed me beyond um, my belief of my potential. And, and, and um, Stan was certainly one of those people in my life. And, and remember um, that it, it's, not, it's not what you learn, uh, it's learning how to learn. And that's mm -hmm. what many of you are doing today because we talked about changes accelerating. So what you know today is irrelevant very, very quickly. So it's the fact that you can learn and learn fast. And so the person or team that learns the fastest likely wins the fastest. And enjoy the process and embrace getting comfortable with being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and stay on the steep side of that learning curve because that'll get you closer to your potential in life. And remember, satisfaction, while it feels comfortable, is the enemy of reaching your full potential. Um, and, and get to know Stan's principles and concepts. They worked in the past, they're working right now in the present, and they will work for you in the future. And that's what I would leave the listeners, Dr. Babb. Outstanding, I appreciate it for making the time for us. And um, I look forward to maybe the opportunity to speak to you again. Great, thank you very much.